Hey folks, Chris Versace here from Action Alerts Plus Portfolio. We've got a new week. That means a new podcast. And we've got a lot to get ready for, a lot of key economic data. We've got the pickup in earnings season. We've got Davos going on. Oh, so much. Joining me here to break it all down and share some insight is Todd Campbell from The Streets Street Smarts. You may not know it, but Todd does a great job of canvassing all that the street has to bring to you, whether it's on the free site or behind the paywall. And I think Todd's going to, you know, use some of those learnings married with his own insight to give us a good conversation this week. Hey, Todd, how are you? I'm doing good, Chris. Thanks for having me on today. I'm looking forward to happy to do it. Happy to do it. Chatting um, you know, catching we... up with you. Uh, yep. Yeah, same here. Same here. Before we get to it, Todd, got to ask this question. Long weekend. Did you have a good time? Anything fun? Um, I did, actually. I went to, um, I, I like craft brew, craft beers, and uh, I also... I'm starting to like craft ciders. I think maybe you actually, I've seen in the past, post about uh, different craft ciders. I found a, a craft cider, um, would it be called a brewery or a distillery? I don't know. Cidery. Cidery. I found a craft <laughs> cidery nearby and a couple friends and I went over on Saturday and we we checked out the wares and had a great time. So, and, and then a lot of uh, just, you know, catching up around the house, catching up on, you know, some rest and, uh, you know, there's always some honeydew stuff to do around the house. Like I'm sure yeah, all of yeah. our listeners probably were doing similar things. Well, I was doing some of that as well, but I, I will tell members that, um, and, and everybody else listening to the podcast, that you really have got to follow Todd, particularly Friday nights, because he kicks off this uh, thin twit, um, I don't know if I could call it chat, but certainly back and forth on Twitter, uh, where he posts the beverage of choice for the evening, and then other folks, including myself, tend to pile on. Tends to be a good a good bit of fun. But yeah, it's like a virtual happy talk about, hour. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, you know, I did a number of those back during the the high the highs of the pandemic with the virtual you know clinking of the glasses and all that. But but Todd, you know. As, as we put the weekend behind us, it's a short week, but it, as I alluded to in the opening, it's a busy week. We, there, there's a lot of stuff going on. You know, Davos, like I mentioned, inflation data, December PPI coming out tomorrow, December retail sales. Uh, we're starting to see more companies reporting. But, you know, for for myself, what what do you think is, is you know, uh, priority one for the next couple of days? Well, I think the PPI is huge, um, but I think it's less huge than it was maybe six or, or seven months ago when people were shaking their heads and, and really concerned. Oh my God, look at these surprising PPI numbers. That's that's not really the case anymore. I mean, people have kind of baked in the expectation that inflation is going to be high, and I think that now, I, I joked on Twitter the other day something like, "Nobody cares about inflation anymore. Get used to it." Um, because I think that, yeah. <laughs> well, well, but I, I don't think that's necessarily true, right? I, I think that we're seeing some good early progress on inflation, but we're, we're still, even when you look at this December CPI numbers and potentially the December PPI numbers out tomorrow, uh, we, we still have a long way to go to that 2%. And the only thing that makes me not nervous, but I, I do wonder if the fact that it might take longer to get there might uh, lead folks to have to rethink, is the Fed going to do one, two, maybe three small price increases for the Fed funds rate uh, in the first half of the year? I, I'm not convinced yet that that four and three quarter to 500 basis points is, is where we're going to wind up. It could be slightly higher. 
Yeah, I mean, I was being a little facetious when I was made that comment. You know, I mean, obviously inflation matters. And I think but I think that the bigger issue right now, and you kind of alluded to it earlier on, is unemployment and the impact on wages. Um, and I think that, that yes, that tra- flows through into, into inflation. That's been the stickiest part, perhaps, of inflation. I mean, we've already seen crude oil flip to a tailwind from a headwind when it comes mm-hmm. to inflation, because now we're anniversarying relatively high prices in crude from here through, say, September. Um, so assuming that crude prices stay about where they are now, that's, that's actually going to become a little bit of a year-over-year tailwind when it comes to earnings. I think we're seeing the same thing with, um, if you just look at the DBC, which is the Commodities Index ETF, you see similar things, first quarter anniversarying them, turning potentially to a tailwind. Uh, natural gas, same thing. Dollar, which has been a headwind um, for a lot of companies, uh, that's that's actually going to be shifting to a tailwind if it stays at current levels around April or May. But I think that, you know, to the point that you alluded to earlier with wage inflation, that's the thing to watch. Watch unemployment because of its impact on wage inflation, which has been so sticky. Yeah, well, there is one other aspect to it. Um, I, I think I talked about this on a recent podcast. I know I wrote about it to Action Alerts Plus members. It's the number of states, I think it's 26 that are actually effective January increasing their minimum wages. And some are small, you know, two, three percent, but others, whoo, double digits. And I, I think that's just going to keep that wage component um you know, a little warmer than expected, maybe for potentially longer. And I think you're right. That's that's the area that the Fed is going to have the toughest challenge because they're really conflicted. They want unemployment to go higher, but it's not. In fact, the unemployment rate, as you know, fell to 3.5%, I think, in December. That's going to keep that wage number really, really warm. So I, I, I do think that um, this is going to be a thorn that could potentially, you know, really throw the throw the Fed a curveball. Well, you know, what's really interesting too about that conversation is it also leads you to, to wonder, you know, is unemployment could have a huge impact on this whole argument of whether or not we're going to get the soft landing versus a hard landing. Mm-hmm. And I, there's, I think that there's one of the things that I want to see, see what happens here is will wage inflation, you know, at, on, on the way up when an inflation was rocketing higher, right? It rocketed higher above wage inflation. So we had negative real wages, which of course mm-hmm. is a mm-hmm. drag on the economy, right? So now inflation is on its way down. So the question then becomes, will inflation, overall inflation fall faster than wage inflation? And if so, will we flip-flop now to positive real wages at some point this year? And if so, does that bolster the argument for a soft landing versus a hard landing? And I think that's going to be, I think people are going to start mm-hmm, talking mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. that in the second quarter. Yeah, I think you're right. I, it, it speaks to the notion of, you know, disposable dollars, right? Which is something that I track quite, quite closely. It's it's key because, you know, the consumer indirectly, directly two thirds of the economic engine for the U.S., um, but, you know, the other thing, I'll just throw this out there, because uh, as much as people like to think that we're fully scripted on this, Todd, we're not. Um, you know, when, when I mention the rising minimum wage, I, I tend to think about restaurants, which have been struggling with inflation. Um, you know, we heard from ConAgra that the price increases that they put through earlier this year are actually starting to flip-flop to margin levers, which is great. Uh, we've got a couple companies in the Action Alerts Plus portfolio that would that would definitely benefit from that. 
But I'm also wondering, though, as minimum wage goes higher, some restaurant companies, they particularly quick service, they might have a tougher time. I wonder if this is going to foster um, investment. And we, we've heard about this for a long time, but in automation and to some extent restaurant friendly robots like the ones from Preston, uh, Preston Automation. That's a fascinating topic because I don't know, I, last time I was in a McDonald's, I was shocked at how few people were behind the counter and how many did, machines. Did, did, you, did you order through the kiosk? I did. I, I, I didn't <laughs> like it. <laughs> but, <laughs> old dog, new tricks, I guess. I don't know. It felt weird to me. I mean, I still am one of those people who looks at the Walmart checkout lane and, and tries to find a, a cashier to go to because way back when I was you know, 16 years old, that was my first job. Um, so I'd be like, are, are you also, are, Todd, are you also one of those folks that's kind of still trapped in the commercial from my childhood to all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun? I'm a quarter pounder with cheese guy. Maybe we should start a <laughs> poll for the, our, our followers so they could, could see what the, uh, see what the favorite meal is. Um, yeah, I'm a quarter pounder guy, but I think you're right. That I think that there, there are incredible tailwinds toward the automation of everything. And, okay. you know, the automation of everything would include figuring out ways to reduce your SG&A by bringing in, um, um, you know, automated solutions like kiosks and vending. I mean, I, I think I read somewhere last week that now we've got these, you would order at the kiosk and it would actually come out on a conveyor belt. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a very um, bizarre, but potentially profit-friendly um, angle that's longer term. I also wonder if we do see an uptick in unemployment. I think what's the Fed looking for? One and a half percent uptick, something like that in unemployment, Chris. I don't think it's look I don't think they're looking for the same amount of spike in unemployment that we've seen in past recessions. But let's say the unemployment on the margin climbs by one and a half percent or something like that. What does that do to labor costs for restaurants and service workers? I mean you're probably gonna have more people applying for those jobs. And maybe that means fewer places have to pay 18 bucks an hour, 17 bucks an hour, 16 bucks an hour. The flip burgers, that's crazy, that's crazy. But so let me let, let me throw a wrinkle into this because uh, you know last week and to start this week off, we got a bunch of surveys, one from the World Economic Forum, the conference board, and I think even PwC had one out where you know the vast majority of CEOs are saying, oh yes, we see a recession in the cards for 2023. The, the conference board uh, seemed to say it would be a short but shallow recession, which is, you know, potentially good news, a little early yet for sure. But um, I also think though that the World Economic Forum one, if I remember this correctly, said that, you know, this is a very different recession this time around. You know, companies have been able to prepare. They may not be shedding the number of people that they did in the past. That could be a potential headwind for the Fed and it's looking to see unemployment actually go higher. You know, you make an interesting point because Fisher Investments, the founder of Fisher Investments, he had a, a blog post or an article in the post, something like a couple of days ago. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about how this has been a very well forecast recession, much more mm -hmm. so, not mm -hmm. surprising to corporate leaders. Corporate leaders usually play in catch up, trying to catch up to the recession. Instead, we had these two negative quarters, the first two quarters of 2022. I think that scared everybody. It was more supply driven than it was anything else. But I think that scared a lot of uh, corporate leaders, and it started to get them thinking about, okay, headcount rationalization, right? I hate that. <laughs> Firing people. Yeah, you know. yeah. Well, yeah. Or RIF, reduction in force. 
Yeah, reduction, force reductions. Um, and, but but basically looking for fat in the budget and trying to cut them. And I think that they came in now to 2023 with budgets that were much, um, much stricter, smaller, tighter, whatever, than they might have been otherwise. Um, because again, you know, when it comes to planning, corporate planning, you're setting these budgets ahead of time, right? So mm -hmm, the 2022 mm -hmm. spending plan was based on two. 2021 expectations. And now the 2023 spending plan is based on what was happening in 2022, which was not that great of a year. So I think that some of that has been pulled forward. And I think one of the things Fisher said is maybe this will be more like 1967, where you had a, a weak think, market in 66. You went into a pre-election year in 67 um, that ended up being a relatively good year for stocks. Who knows, right? But I think you raised interesting points. How much of this is forecast, right? And because it was forecast, what does that do to everybody's expectations? You know, the Fed told us transitory, transitory, transitory for the longest <laughs> period of time, right? So now they're banging their fist on the table saying, higher for longer, higher for longer, higher for longer. Well, okay. You know, I believe them in the moment that they're saying that, and that's the direction yeah, they're going, yeah. but that doesn't necessarily mean that's where they'll end up. No, no. Well, I, I think that's true. Um, you know, I, on the one hand, I think they have to say that, right, to convince people that we are going to do this no matter what, you know, come hell or high water. But, you know, there, there's, look, if we go into a recession, if it's shallow, if some folks are saying that we may not see a recession in the U.S., even though it may feel like one, you know, there, there's reasons to think that, you know, the Fed might have to go even bigger, might even have to go longer. So there, there, there's a lot of, uh, I guess the only way I could say it, Todd, is we're, we're at this point where the, the, the forward picture is a little murky. Absolutely. And I think, okay, I'm going to talk, I'm also going to go back and I'm going to say that because it's murky and because expectations have been tilted in such a direction for so long by so many people, that maybe everything ends up surprising us a little bit. And I, I makes me yes. think of Doug Cass and Cass's uh, surprises for 2023 and how, you know, he suggested that, you know, stocks could rally 10% in the first half of the year and then have a tough second half of the year as inflation reignites because of China reopening. And that's not something really that's on the, on the, on the card. No, for, but it, for but, but, well, but if you think about it, right, you know, China just reported their uh, fourth quarter, uh, GDP for um, 2022 is, I think, 3%. Some of the forecasts out there are 5%. That's a big reacceleration. And I know a lot of people are kind of, you know, tying their lasso to that, reeling it in as, oh, maybe the global economy won't totally fall off a cliff this year. But it is a good point. And I, I think, you know, as investors, one of the things we always have to remember, and this sounds a little trite, is to connect the dots, right? Don't necessarily say A, well, if A happens, what does that mean for B or C? And that's that's exactly the point that you're bringing up. We, we, we always have to go one step further, consider the ramifications of what we may be seeing or may be thinking. Um, but I, I think that's a great point about inflation. And again, it's another reason to think that there, it's possible that the Fed does not back down in the back half of the year, like some people are thinking, thank you, CME Fed Watch tool, or, or the fact that maybe they do go. They do have to go a little higher than people are currently expecting. So th there's a number of reasons that I think the next several weeks are going to be rather challenging for us. And, and as it relates to China, um, I do think that we've got to get past the Chinese New Year that kicks off January 22nd. My concern, just for what it's worth, uh, is that 
uh, we see a real spike in the current COVID count. And that means that everybody who's expecting all this good, good things to happen from China reigniting, uh, they're going to be a little disappointed in the near term. Yeah, um, it's not going to, it's not, it's going to be bumpy, right? It'll be bumpy yeah, lot exactly. like our reopening was. And I think that that bumpiness is going to be hard to model. So if people are thinking, you know, my joke, I always joke that stocks go up and to the right over time, but they don't do it mm -hmm. in a straight line. And no. I think a lot of times economies are kind of similar. I mean, you're going to have this bumpiness as you come off of a potential low here. Uh, and I think it, to your point, we're going to have to keep an eye on it. We're going to have to keep a watch on China because how China goes from here and whether or not they do or don't have a big COVID outbreak once they reopen is going to dictate commodity prices. And I mentioned earlier that commodity prices right now are turning into a tailwind to earnings, right? But what happens if commodities re-exert? What happens if that happens? Then, then once again, you're in that same position of companies looking at their earnings saying, geez, this is, I'm, I'm gonna have to ratchet back again my spending to try and right. protect my margins. You know, the or, other end, and you've talked about, You've talked about this Sorry. before, Chris, and I just want to bring yeah. this up because I thought it was a very savvy point that you made months and months and months ago, which is the price stickiness at retail. Uh, so inflation causes companies to raise their prices, right? To try and chase those prices up to protect their margin. But they're very reluctant to roll those price hikes back. So that's also in the back of my mind as I'm thinking forward a year out, if you will, to earnings. Yeah, well, but I mean, just just again, you know, take your thought there on China and the reopening and commodity prices one step further. It could mean that, you know, companies cool price action in the first half of the year, but maybe it pop, pops up again in the second half of the year. And again, what does that mean for overall inflation and the path to 2%? I mean, you know, you, we could go round and round on, on a number of things here, kind of like we are. But I think I, I think the message here is that, look, it's an evolving picture. And as much as we're hopeful, there's a lot of puts and takes here that could cause the landscape to, I think, to use your word, Todd, be bumpy. And we're just going to have to navigate as we go. I think that that's true. And I mean, listeners are probably the million dollar question, right, that are on, on listeners' minds right now is probably, well, what does that mean for my money? You know, what should yeah. I be doing with my money now? Because that's really where the rubber hits the road. I mean, we can talk all day long about what we think the news might be or how things may shape up. But the question really on the minds of listeners is, well, what do I do with my money right now based on all of that? I think that's well, something a lot of people are struggling with right now, Chris. That's a wonderful uh, pivot, Todd. And I'm going to say that because one area that I'm starting to look at, and you know, I could be a little early, but it's chip stocks. And we got out of the chip stocks really in the second half of the year when we exited AMD and NVIDIA in the AAP portfolio. But look, you know, the the tech sector, stocks in particular, tend to bottom out before the economy does, right? That seems to be more so the case with technology stocks, which are inherently more volatile anyway compared to a lot of other sectors. Um, but, you know, we're taking a look at that. We, we, we want to lean into areas that are not really consumer centric to the extent that we can in the near term. We want to look for more infrastructure names, but also end markets that have really continued growth, uh, not just in overall end markets uh, for chips, but where we're seeing the dollar content increase per device. 
So we used to see this a long time ago in the smartphone market. One area that we can we have seen it and will continue to see it is the automotive market. And that could be kind of interesting um, just as the supply chains for autos are finally back to normalized levels. And perhaps we see the EV stimulus really kick in, generating demand there. Uh, because I don't know if you know this, Todd, but EVs have about 2.3 times the chip content compared to a regular combustion engine vehicle. Yeah, I think I read somewhere that there's up to 700 chips now per per vehicle. It's some stupid, crazy number that you you're like, where the heck are all these chips? Well, and, and, you know, it's, it's the funny. The interpretation of everything is not changing just because we went into a recession. No, no. I mean, if you if you think about this, and maybe some folks know this or not, but you know, the plans for cars are locked well before, right? That that uh, production model goes. Sorry, before that model goes into production. So, you know, these are long lead times and, you know, the the intricacies of sourcing the components as well as the roadmaps are, are very expansive. Um, you know, well, this is I why. Stay, yeah. And yeah. Chris, I want to stay on your theme, though, of chips, because I'm fascinated sure. by this. And I, I, I'd love to know what you've got in the bullpen for chip stocks. There was a couple of thoughts that I had by mind. You know, I, semiconductors are cyclicals. Uh, mm -hmm. And they do tend to perform um, better at certain times of the year than other times of the year. Usually, you end up seeing them do better in the fall through the through the winter. <laughs> um, you see the order cycle come in, and then the orders come in. The book to bill. I used to always track the semi book to bill. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm, it used mm -hmm. to be free, and I can't get that data as easily as I used to. And the book no. to bill always had its peak around that same time, the end of the tail end of the year and then going into the beginning part of the year. So they tend to do really well. Then I was thinking, I was thinking that there could be an opportunity to be buyers over the next three to six months in chips for that reason alone. And then I started thinking about, well, what else is working in the market right now? Lower P ratio ideas, right? Mm -hmm. So more value oriented and stocks that have some dividends. Mm -hmm. and some of the chip equipment companies may fit the bill on both of those metrics as uh, well. Well, if you're talking chip equipment companies, you have to remember too that we've got the the Chips Act that'll start to kick in in the second half of the year, spending for that. So that is a positive for for the likes of Applied Materials, LAM Research, uh, ASML, and the like. I, I was thinking more actually chip companies, the ones who actually produce the chips. Um, you know, when we look at auto. You know, there's a number of companies that kind of have, uh, you know, small exposure to it. Like NVIDIA has a little bit. Uh, Marvell, it's around like 6%. Qualcomm's targeting it. That's around 3%. But there are some pure plays out there, kind of like an Indy Semiconductor, INDI. But, you know, it's an interesting company, and it's bounced from like, you know, to $7 from 5 It's a hard one to get behind, at least in the near term, given the lack of earnings. But it is something that we could quite a bit from as to the overall path of auto chips. Yeah, and I would toss two additional names in there just for readers maybe to throw on their watch list or take a closer look at, in addition to the ones that you just mentioned, maybe on semiconductor, similar there is mm -hmm. O-N, and Wolf, uh, similar there is Wolf, W-O-L. Oh, Wolf Speed, the old Cree. Yeah, which they're wow. doing some interesting things and in using a new type of chip that can get us a little bit um, better at high heat environments lots of deployment in automotive, um, and maybe they see see that same tailwind that you're talking about. 
it's it's possible it's one to look at those are just just for listeners those are silicon carbide chips one of the uh kind of the um compound semiconductor arena i've got a long history in that given my uh mobile phone ecosystem food chain back when i was a sell side equity analyst um but that that's actually uh, brings up another point todd um because i covered that i can tell you that for certain sectors of chip land you are a hundred percent correct uh, I, I did this study for the mobile phone food chain, uh, including device manufacturers and all that. And typically from about February until June, July, they underperformed. And then like clockwork, the, the uh, switch was thrown and they outperformed the entire back half of the year. Now, that's back when a back when the mobile phone and then eventually the smartphone market was more of a growth market, not quite like it is today. But something to keep in mind in terms of seasonal trends that you might want to look to when you're examining not only a particular company, but its end markets as well. Um, all right, so that's chips. Um, what about earnings this week, Todd? Is there any particular company, any one that you're going to hang your hat on? We've got, for example, United, Procter & Gamble, Ericsson, Netflix. I'm more interested in the reaction to the earnings than oh, I am in one specific result. I mean, what I thought was fascinating on Friday was to see Bank of America and Wells Fargo put up kind of stinkers, uh, certainly not mm -hmm. you know resoundingly good earnings results, sell off very sharply and then rally back very sharply. Um, today, you've got Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley in a tale of two tapes where Morgan Stanley, uh, you could argue both of them, both of them miss and the numbers weren't great at either of them. Morgan Stanley rally and Goldman Sachs selling off. So I'm very curious to see what investors' appetite is <clears throat> to buy following earnings. And I think that that will give us a little bit more of a clue into what, you know, what's happening with sentiment. Because I think that the temptation has been get out of the way in front of earnings. I don't want to be involved in case they blow up. And my question now is, will the earnings bar have been lowered to a level now where it's more likely that even if they miss, everybody is piled into the short trade on it and they end up covering and driving stocks higher. So I think the reaction mm. is mm. what I'm going to be watching, Chris. Yeah, no, I, I, that, that's a that's a good point. For me, um, you know, it's, it's Proctor. I alluded to it earlier when we were talking about pricing action. Uh, you know, uh, inflation input cost recovery and margin levers going into the uh, front part of the year. But I also think, too, though, too, that they will give us a, a pretty good read on the various geographic economies around the world. Of course, you know, the big four horsemen, obviously the U.S., Japan, uh, Eurozone and China. So we'll want to focus in on that. Also be curious to have to hear what they have to say about the dollar. I, I know you touched on it earlier, and I agree that you know, by the time we get towards April or so, if the dollar continues, it could become a tailwind, but it's already come down considerably compared to the back half of the year. So I, I think that gives companies a little wiggle room for their guidance as well. But I'll be curious to hear what they have to say. And that that guidance issue again is, you know, how to what degree are companies cutting the 2023 expectations as we start to roll up those 2023 forecasts, especially for the S&P 500? Again, the consensus is right around still 229, up about 4% or so year over year. Um, that brings us back to our, you know, shallow recession, deeper recession, no recession conversation. And again, I, I think we'll learn a lot more than the next couple of weeks as we go through all this. Um, any any other stocks on your radar screen, Todd? 
Well, I'm always going through trying to see what people are talking about AAP and Real Money Pro, just to try and highlight those for readers, see if there's some good ideas. I, I think that there are a lot of ideas that are intriguing. And I think a lot of people forget that, you know, it's a market of stocks and there is always something that you can have on your list. There's always something you can buy. And in AAP, you look at your portfolio, Chris, in the past year, and some of your biggest winners um, have been, you know, relatively new additions to the portfolio. I would say Axon jumps to mind, you know. Um, but you look yeah. at some of these stocks and you say to yourself, okay, there's, there are things that you can go out and buy. And I think that the people are going to want to make sure that they're watching, they're seeing what's performing well, they're seeing what's starting to be re to rebound and starting to climb the wall of, of worry, if you will, and starting to think, again, think on a year-over-year -year basis. Be wary about extrapolating the more recent environment into the future because that's not, yes, it, it for the short burst, that's going to tell you where we are today and where we may be for the next couple of weeks. But it may not necessarily be going to be how you want to position your portfolio 12 months out, 18 months out, 10 years out. You've got to think more strategically about what is your long-term goal for your portfolio and is the plan that you have in place now going to get you to that goal and focus more on that than I think extrapolating any one particular news bite from the last mm -hmm. three months mm -hmm. or the next three months forward. Now, with that in mind, I do think that there are opportunities, even from a more diversified thing, to look at some of these ETFs and think, okay, well, maybe I need more dividend exposure, or maybe I need more value exposure. Maybe I want to have the S&P value um, index ETF in my portfolio to give myself a little easy uh, exposure to value. If you look at just price action, we've seen strength in mid caps and small caps more so than large caps. And I think that's something that people want to be bear in mind because the breadth is expanding. You're getting more interest in a wider variety of stocks, just like it was contracting in early 2022. Now it's expanding early 2021, sorry. Now it's expanding again in early 2023. So those are the kind of areas, Chris, broadly speaking, that, that I'm, I'm gonna be looking at. So Todd, let me ask you just real quick before we get out of here about that price action, because you know there've been a number of names that have moved vastly higher. You know, Some of them you know, we talked about in reference to um, China reopening. You, know, you look at Starbucks, Estee Lauder, even Cody, which we recently added to the bullpen, big moves. You know, there is potentially some room for disappointment, I think, or maybe a, a sobering of expectations, if you will. Um, but take a look at like ChargePoint. You know, we added that around 828. This latest slug stock uh, before we hopped onto tape was around 12. I mean, that's a huge move. And I, and I think that, again, whenever I see stocks move this far, this fast, I, I, I even though the data is positive, I do get a little concerned about uh, the expectation, not that I have, but more what the market think might be. And sometimes, you know, you and I have chatted about this offline, about the hopium that's in the market. Sometimes that gets things a little bit ahead of itself. Yeah, time frames matter, right, Chris? You know, I mean, if you're looking forward one month and you say to yourself, well, we just gone from eight to 12 bucks or you've gone from six to eight bucks or whatever, you're saying, so how much more can I rally in that short period of time? This is something that Doug Katz talks a lot about on Real Money Pro, where he starts highlighting things. Well, okay, I'm going to fade now. We're getting into strength. We just had this really big rally. McClellan right. Oscillator and other things that measure breath are getting a little bit too, too um, you know, optimistic. It's time for a pullback. It's time to retreat. 
that's that's the part of the trend inside the longer trend, right? So I mean, you can be short-term bearish and long-term bullish. You can be, long, you know, in the opposite, short-term bullish and bearish and mm -hmm. bearish mm -hmm. bullish. You know what I mean? Uh, vice versa. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that time frames matter, and people have to to bear that in mind. Stocks don't go up into the right in a straight line, as I said earlier. No, um, so it wouldn't no. be shocking if you get names like ChargePoint backfill a little bit of their games. But one of the things I think is really important, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking before, and I know I'm going long here, but one of the things no, we were no. talking about before, Chris, was um, just you know think about position sizing as you're thinking about how your plan is for allocating your money and how positioning your portfolio longer term. Because one of the things AEP does is it takes a starter position and then mm -hmm. uses opportunistically price action to increase exposure or decrease. I mean, I, th I think you guys decreased charge point at one point as well. Um, uh, we, so you're, you're correct on that. We, we, we recently, uh, trimmed back i forget the position um but we but we were not afraid todd to book gains right i mean if if something moves considerably you know we like to be prudent investors what that allows us to do is harvest those gains redeploy into other areas of the portfolio or perhaps start a position in something new um and i will tell you that you know i am watching that charge point again you know sitting around 12 bucks from 828 where we bought that last slug uh you know we like to be prudent. That's all I can say about that. Yeah, um, I mean, you can manage your position sizes, like you said, prudently. You know, yeah, if yeah. you get a little bit overbought, pair it back a little, put a little bit in your pocket. We get a, get a little bit oversold, so spend a little bit of money like you guys did with that idea. And I think that that's kind of going to be a story, a longer term story throughout two, 2023. Play the waves as they come. Well, you know, Todd, that is quite a bit that we covered, as usual, here on the AAP podcast. I appreciate you joining. I look forward to you coming back in future weeks, chewing the fat with me, sharing your insight. Um, anything anything we didn't cover that we should before we get out of here? No, I just hope everybody who's listening today has a great week and has a very happy and healthy 2023. All right. And, Todd, for folks who want to get more of your insight and your wisdom, what are your socials and where can they find Street Smarts? Absolutely. You Google the street smarts and you can view our content there uh, for free um, and then sign up, hopefully, uh, to get your daily newsletter, which is going to highlight the one big thing that was discussed on the premium side of the street every day. Uh, so a continuously updating flow of ideas. And then if you want to follow me on Twitter, go follow Chris and then follow me. Um, but you can follow me <laughs> at EB Capital. So at sign EB Capital. Well said. And, uh, you know, I do follow you, Todd. You know that uh, not just for the Friday night libation uh, information. Excellent. I hope you have a great week, uh, Chris. You too, Todd. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next edition of the AAP podcast.